right, welcome to Digital Twinning, the first and only podcast specifically dedicated to digital twins. I'm John O'Leary. I'm Andrew Corsione. And today we're joined by world-renowned futurist Amy Webb. Amy, thanks for joining us. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me. So, in the flesh. Not, yeah, I'm not fl- my digital twin. Pretty rare. Well, how, how would we know, I guess, uh, if the digital twin could be speaking? Our, our listeners won't know. It brings up an interesting question for the future, maybe. Yeah, well, do you have a digital twin? Interesting, if we can quickly diverge before we talk about what we're here to talk about. So, yes. Um, oh, my God, it's 2023. So, probably 10 years ago, I created the first virtual version of myself and deployed it at a conference um, just for the heck of it. I, I've always kind of experimented to see what I can automate out of my own day. Um, and yeah, so I've played around. It was kind of a dumb chatbot. And, uh, and then I created something that was a little smarter and deployed it. I want to say this was 2018 probably. And it was at the same conference. It was all journalists. So I deployed it as a sort of companion, um, like a like an Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson or whatever the kids watch these days that have two hosts. Do they still do that? I don't think they do, right? I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> um, was it Ed McMahon or am I thinking of a football player? Ed no, McMahon. yeah, that's yeah, it. Sure. Yeah, Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon was a... Exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but I, I had that. So this is all journalists, many of whom I, I knew pretty well deploy the digital virtual version of myself who I'd named Akira. So intentionally, and I, I made a, um, I guess I probably used some form of an early, early generative AI, although it was a GAN, um, to, to make an image of myself that looked a little nondescript. Um, so it was a, a non-gendered version of me that I named Akira, which in Japanese could be a man or a oh, woman's okay. name, mm-hmm. deployed it. And I told everybody... If you have questions while I'm talking about all this crazy emerging technology, ask Akira. Akira will answer your question, right? And uh, in the background, what I was actually tracking was how many people are going to try to abuse (laughs) the virtual version of myself. And it was like a shockingly high number. Oh, no. So when people, when these like journalists, uh, you know, asked an inappropriate question, Akira was trained to help them learn how to be a better human. Oh, wow. Oh, I love that. Ask questions we could like all that, use so. a little help to be a better yeah. human. Anyways, so that's pretty in the weeds. But I did um, I did create, a, I tried to create a digital twin of myself to answer email a couple of years ago. And it worked. It was all these like automated workflows. If you wrote an email, it would scan the email to try to figure out what it was about. And then it would send an automated, it would like triage and then send the right message. It worked for like three hours and I felt like I was a rock star yeah. uh, until it looped and started answering itself. I like, oh. I spam like 10,000 people by accident. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyways, so there you go. The, the, the promise and perils of digital twin. Look at that. Yeah. Well, how long until we start having the Amy Webb digital twin come out to give the keynote and you can uh, rest more comfortably? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's actually a wonderful segue into, I think, what you want to talk about, yep. <laughs> uh, which is... Um, what, what can these things do? What can't they do and, and why? And I, I think that there are pieces of this that get automated, but ultimately, why do you show up at an event or why are you listening to this podcast? I've already taken you way off script, right? Yeah, we're, <laughs> like we're good. a generative AI system may not have like a, like a generative version of me may mm-hmm. not have allowed that because it would have not, it would have had a different goal set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a nonlinear sort of orthogonal thinker and I have a hard time staying in my lane. Mm-hmm. Um, Staying in your lane is something that a digital twin is kind of intended to do. Uh, so, so anyhow, this is my very long-winded way of saying I think speaking and people gathering doesn't go away. 
I think that continues. That's probably good news for, for us, yeah. <laughs> for, yeah, for absolutely. all of us in this room. Yeah, for yeah. people in the events space yeah, and communications, because I, I prefer the you know physical interaction versus the virtual. So. Yeah. So speaking of why you're here today, uh, Amy, of course, we're excited to talk digital twins, but you're also here to give the keynote at our TCS North American Innovation Forum. Would you mind giving us a, a little preview about what you'll be talking about? Yeah, actually, I changed it on the train this morning a little bit um, because of WWDC uh, yesterday. So I don't know when everybody's listening to this, but Apple's big uh, one of Apple's big events of the year was, was yesterday. Um, so listen, we're on the verge of really, I think, a, a gigantic transition in computing, really big. And I think it's hard for people to spot right now because there's a lot of both red herrings and changes in weird pockets. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I'm gonna be talking about is, you know, where are some of these changes happening and should we be connecting the dots? So there's a, a, obviously a big thing happening with Gen AI. There's also a pretty big shift right now in interfaces mm -hmm. and moving from text to typing much more so without us without set work streams um and then of course uh i mean we've been tracking this for a long time but extended reality was always going to win over vr and ar and god for like it yeah. makes me crazy when people do the vr slash ar thing yeah. if that's you listening stop that <laughs> um right so but but what does that tell us that just tells us that we're moving from a flat two-dimensional computing environment into something that's spatial, that's interactive, that's immersive, that's wearable, that's, you know, cognitive, all of these different things. Um, so, so what does that mean for business? Some businesses are going to stay in their lane and, and not worry about any of this because they're not connecting the dots. And it just seems like the PNL is very important right now. We just have to worry about the next quarter. That is especially true in sort of tech, which I, I get. Um, but the problem is that the world is going to move on without you. So I'm going to talk about the two types of companies that manage through truly complex operating environments like we've got right now, show some examples of how they're different, um, and hopefully encourage everybody to move into the direction of Pathfinder, which is the, the type of company that tends to be resilient and agile, regardless of what comes, uh, versus the, the the bystander category, which is the, we don't want to be first mover, let's wait and see, mm -hmm. totally get all that, right? And it's good to be risk aware, but I think now is not the time to be risk, so risk averse that it leads to paralysis. What's going to happen to the companies that sort of stay back and observe and, and are bystanders for yeah. this? Well, I, I mean, the, the, the example that I'm going to be using is BlackBerry. And I know everybody's like, yes, 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 we know. We, we all know that the tragedy of BlackBerry but I, very few people know what what really happened. And the real tragedy of BlackBerry wasn't this storied company that went out of business. It was the reason that BlackBerry, the reason that Research in Motion invented that device, which by the way, do you guys remember what we used to call that thing? It had a nickname? Rim? No, I mean. No, no, the, the BlackBerry it, device. It, people, yeah. people called it, had it gave Crack, it a nickname. Crackberry? Crackberry. Oh, oh yeah. 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 So okay. be before, in the, in the before time, when, you know, before we started talking about digital Shabbats and like detoxing, <laughs> people were proud of the fact that they were addicted, yeah. like, to, like crack cocaine. Yeah. Right. I had my palm trio. I love, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I well, didn't nobody, want the black So nobody like, ever called the palm trio, uh, <laughs> you know, crack like device. Um, but my point is what happened? Well, what happened at the end of the story is nowhere near as interesting as what happened at the beginning of the story of Blackberry. 
and research in motion and and how that device came to be, it was because these guys were looking at signals of change and intentionally connecting dots and sort of thinking, well, what if these components shifted and the compute got better? And maybe there's a single device, you know, to rule them all, you know, which was insane at the time that they were thinking about this. But that is what created the market for them. And at one point, they were globally dominant. They stopped asking, what if? So they, and this is the problem with successful, a lot of bystander companies are very successful. And the reason is because they are so terrified of messing with what already works, right? That they will come up with every reason under the sun not to do the the, the digital transformation or the technology change, you know, you name it. And this is especially prevalent in telecommunications where we do a lot of work. I know you guys do a lot of work. I'm sure, I'm sure what I'm saying to you is you've never thought of before. Uh, yeah, it's it's really rough, but but we're sort of at this moment in time where uh, vul- this is going to create catastrophic vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. The companies that ref- that sort of dig in their heels and refuse to engage this time around is going to be particularly painful for those companies, and a lot of them are not going to survive. And it doesn't matter how big you are. What, uh, what advice would you give to maybe a member of a C-suite at a company who needs to convince the rest of their, their team, their board, that they need to start investing in this kind of outlook? Yeah, well, a couple of things. First off, um, I think what set research in motion motion, so what, what, what put RIM on the map was that they, they were asking what if, right? And they didn't, and it wasn't like sort of random um, blue sky thinking or just brainstorming, it was strategic, right? So what if um, five years from now, this technical thing was possible that isn't possible today, but we see the signals there, right? I don't see a lot of that happening in a lot of companies. Um, and I, cause I basically only deal with the C-suite. Now I get why the, the, that's happening in part because this is probably the most complex operating environment I've seen in 20 years. Um, and that that is reverberating impacts of COVID, where we're still trying to figure out how and why and where we're working, combined with geopolitical issues, which lead to supply chain and logistics nightmares, you know, and also this sort of the sort of transition to other types of technology, not to mention social changes and other things. So it's a rough time for the C-suite. Oh, and you know, possibly recession. Right. Uh, <laughs> so like. Uh, it's really rough. I totally get it. And um, times like these, I I see again, sort of this bifurcation. I see some C-suites leaning into uncertainty as a way to create leverage. Because if you confront that uncertainty head on and you explore it and say, okay, so let's do some scenario planning, not financial, but strategic, right? If if all of these things, then what? Um, Then what you do is you, you wind up prepared for anything, not everything, but anything. And it's what makes you more agile. I see the opposite though. Uh, a lot of times where the, where C-suite members are just, you know, let's stick with what we know. Let's just get through the next quarter. We can't plan that far ahead. There's too much uncertainty and, and that uncertainty becomes a huge liability. So, you know, ask what if lean into the uncertainty, figure out a way to, to turn it into leverage. 
So for the companies that do want to become pathfinders, uh, are digital twins a, a good tool that they can adopt to go in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it depends on the, the, the place where you are and ultimately the data that you have access to. Mm-hmm. So um, the most immediate use case is pretty obvious, I think, for most people, which is the industrial space. Mm-hmm. So you've got a factory, you've got a you know logistics, you've got a supply chain. Um, being able to create a digital twin uh, for the you know and, and being able to either run simulations in advance to test you know different models and different ways of making improvements is like magic mm-hmm. right um, you can improve operational efficiency you can you know find ways to reduce costs all of all of those wonderful things um, so so that's that's huge um, per, things like predictive maintenance mm-hmm. so once you have real-time data that's flowing through that digital twin, Awesome. Now you have some sense of where and when something is going to break. That has a trickle-down impact, though, into um, sort of broader swaths of the organization. So let's think of an airline for a moment. Um, and this is not new. This is an old use case for a digital twin. But let's say that you've got a digital twin of your the, the components of your airplane. And you can understand in advance when something is has a high probability of breaking or that the signals are there that it's going to need maintenance or something. Um, so that's not just about, you know, fixing a broken part. That's about spending less fuel. So, so what that means is your airplane is not sitting idle on a runway when they realize that there's a problem and then they have to turn back. And then you, you know, there's this, you guys, everybody knows, oh, yeah. right? cascading Absolutely. Um, on both the consumer side, but also on the finance side. So you're burning fuel one airplane may not seem that like that big of a deal, but at scale, that's a massive problem. If you're an airline company that's trying to meet ESG goals, right? So that torpedoes that effort, not to mention lots of angry customers. If there was a way to solve that problem in advance and work backwards from it, you alleviate so many bottlenecks and you create many more opportunities to surprise and delight your passengers, right? So, so, um, so it depends on the industry, but that's one of many examples. There, I'm going to talk today about a digital twin of a heart. Um, there's a, when when you do when somebody goes in to to get cardiac catheterization, um, which is pretty common, they use an ultrasound. Okay, so that's better than nothing, mm-hmm. but it is still a flat image, and you better hope everybody's like. Hopefully, you don't have a something in a weird right. place, right? Um, but what if there was a, a digital twin of your heart mm-hmm. and in real time before that insertion was made, like your team knew exactly what they were doing and it was responsive. So Magic Leap, uh, the company that everybody's kind, kind of wrote off is right. like, yeah. right? Um, the extended reality headset that that was never going to be anything, which I, by the way, completely... Uh, I, to this day, believe everybody got that story wrong because the tech that I've seen and the patents, what I saw, they just, they needed 10 years worth of runway and just the market got antsy. They've been sort of reinvented as a company that's now in the health space. Yeah. And they're um, in the process of getting FDA approval to have Magic Leap in a surgical suite to do exactly what I'm talking about, wow. right? So that has the potential to drastically improve patient outcomes. Yeah. So like if the podcast was longer than 20 minutes, I could give you like a hundred different examples. Right. Um, so, so to answer your actual question, this is not digital twins are not ready. F- 
at the moment for every single industry. But but the point that I'm trying to make is this is applicable to more industries than most people realize. At TCS, we actually have been working on digital twin of a human heart, and mm-hmm. we uh, are able to 3D print the heart and include haptics in it oh, so nice. that surgeons yeah. can practice yeah. on people's hearts before they go in for the actual surgery. Yeah, like so operation? Yep, but, uh, pretty much, but on a, on a much more expensive, <laughs> yeah, very yeah, expensive scale. Operation. But it's, a, yes, it's something that we're innovating in and have talked at length, uh, actually with Frank and other futurists about the potentials of you know, how much longer people will be able to live if you have a digital twin, not only of your heart, but mm-hmm. of your entire body. That, right. you know, there's people that believe that the first person who's going to live to be 200 is actually alive right now. Yeah. So using that kind of technology, the digital twin technology will help people live a lot longer and healthier lives. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I think once you start talking about life extension, I think people t- tune out because it's like, this sounds silly and it's, but to sci-fi. Well, but if we unpack a little bit, so we have a two-dimensional version of a a digital twin of ourselves right now. So if you're somebody who goes in for an annual exam and you're getting, you know, labs done, Mm -hmm. cholesterol test. So those are the elements that make up that two-dimensional view of who you are. What it's missing are things like soft tissue and, you know, so, so like you could probably go in, you know, my, my husband, I'll use as he's a doctor, I'll use him as an example. Um, he's very fair complected. So he gets a, he, he had a full body pictures taken of every, of all of his skin. Um, and so when he goes to the dermatologist every six months, he brings these images with him and basically they're looking to see what changed. So that's great. God forbid we ever lose those images right now. There's a digital copy of them somewhere, but it's just not the same as having sort of a 3d scan of your skin and then just going back and rather than have you ever have you guys ever been through a true like like a at the dermatologist to, to look look oh, at yeah. your skin mm-hmm. you know it's invasive it's cold yeah. <laughs> you got somebody you know feels very primal somebody's mm-hmm. looking at you in you know um that that probably if if there was a digital twin of your skin let's say you know this becomes a very simple process and you don't need to lay on a cold table while somebody's you know got their face right up in your business looking for, okay. So, but that's skin. So digital twin of eyes, digital twin of respiratory system, right? So, so it's a different type of picture. It's just a different use case for data. That's the better way to think of it versus like, and that will help us live to 200 years. It would be awesome if the technology allows people to live um, healthier lives, right? So the life extension stuff is great, but like maybe just, less suffering and better outcomes in even in the, the the lifespans that we have now would be kind of great we actually uh, just ran a, a study called uh, the digital twin uh and one of the findings was uh that we may see digital twins of the full human body uh as early as the next 10 years which seems like it would power a lot of these benefits that you're talking well, about so d- sorry is that like down at the cellular level uh, it's of every organ and the skin. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. Well, because they are, there are researchers working on a human cell atlas. So trying to map every single cell and every single cellular structure mm-hmm. and the entire, you know, human body. And there's huge, there's a huge global team of people working on this. So, um, you know, so that's probably the next, the next, you know, iteration from that. Um, and yeah, why wouldn't you want those data? 
You know what I mean? Like we're, we're already wearing devices like watches. Yep. You've got one. I've got one. I've got a different one. Um, but we're wearing devices to track our metrics. Yeah. A lot of people. Oh, yeah. I know so, how much I sleep. I know yeah. how many steps I've taken. I right. Know so why not a consumed. more, a more dynamic version of that mm-hmm. so that you can make better decisions in real time. I mean, I think that's at the, like at the end of the day, that's really what a digital twin is about. Yeah, sign me up. I'm ready to go full cyborg and uh, <laughs> get all the benefits out of it. So I think we have time for just maybe one more question. Uh, I asked ChatGPT. Uh, I'm having world-renowned futurist uh, Amy Webb on, on our podcast. What questions should I ask her? Um, so let's give the last one. Um, what advice would you give to uh, maybe students who might aspire to become futurists? First thing and most important thing is learn what a futurist actually is and does. So this is this is at the end of the day, this is analytics and research work. It's not dreaming up cool, fun ideas about the future. I think the job is fun, but most of what we do is quantitative modeling and qualitative analysis. So uh, that is most of it. It is doing rich data analysis, looking for patterns. And then from those patterns, uh, asking questions and extrapolating next order impacts. Um, the end of the, the, the end of the work is something called scenarios, which are, again, they're narratives that describe plausible futures. But if you do the narrative without a, a model, you're, you're going to be catastrophically wrong. And, and if you're inside of a company or you're doing the work for a company, um, you're probably going to be responsible for a big capital loss, mm. which, you, which you don't <laughs> want. Or if you're doing this for the government, you know, you're going to be responsible for, for poor decision making. Um, but but the, the picture of the future isn't enough you have to tie that back to strategy everywhere. Um, and a lot of the work that we do is also creative. It's in Hollywood, right? We, we work on shows and, and movies. Um, if, if it's not plausible at the end of the day, then it, it doesn't land. And if the work fails to land, then it might've been fun, but it, it wasn't good, right? So if you're somebody who's interested in this, it's not enough to be like technology is cool, or I love thinking, I love sci-fi, that's wonderful. Go do something else. Um, if you're somebody who's like, I think the future is kind of like a puzzle, and if I just have the right math, and I've, if I've got the right data, I can probably figure out how these pieces go together, and this is 100% the job for you. Um, there's lots of places you can study, and, uh, and, and just if you're willing to put in the work, uh, it's a field that would love to have you. Love it. Well, thank you for joining us today to give us some of those pieces uh, in the Digital Twins puzzle. Um, We're excited to be talking more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again, Amy, and uh, looking forward to your keynote at uh, TCS Innovation Forum 2023.